I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Suzanne Colasanti, the best-selling author of When It Happens, Take Me There, Waiting For You, Something Like Fate, So Much Closer, Keep Holding On, All I Need, and Now and Forever. Suzanne has a bachelor's degree from the University of Pennsylvania in astrophysics and earth and space science with a minor in psychology. She has a master's degree from New York University in science education, 7 to 12, teachers of physics. And before becoming a full-time author in 2007, Suzanne was a high school science teacher for 10 years. She lives in New York City. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And you join us today to talk about your new book, City Love, publishing from Catherine Teagan Books on April 21st. It was, it was such a fun read. So tell us a little bit about Sadie, Darcy, Rosanna, and City Love. I wanted to write about this summer before college. I've always wanted to write about this summer because, A, no parents. Yep. <laughs> I can just focus on the girls. Yes. And, of course, I write love stories, so the boys, they meet and start relationships with. And then also because New York City is my first city love. Yes, tell us about that. I just, I love New York City so much. I grew up in middle of nowhere, New Jersey. The New Jersey I am from is a very small town in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Um, population about 800 and something when I was there. I think it's now boomed to about 1,100. <laughs> and the thing is, when you're older... You can go to quiet places in the country, in the woods, and appreciate nature and things. But when you're a teenager, that's really boring. And I was yeah. a teenager without a car. I felt really isolated. Of course, this was before the internet. I felt so alone and desolate and just out of touch with the world. I wanted to be in New York City. I couldn't wait because I always knew that New York City was my true home. Yeah, you just knew that. I just, I call it the knowing yeah. with a capital K. Yeah. Sometimes I have this feeling called the knowing. And it's just this overwhelming, intense clarity that this is meant to be, that this will happen. And, and can you estimate how many times you've had that? The knowing I've only had, I would say in my lifetime, 10 times tops. And have you followed through on, on all of those instincts or most of them? Yeah, absolutely. It's all part of dreaming big. You know, sometimes the knowing is about something that's going to happen that's not necessarily telling me, oh, you should take this path. You should. Like I knew my grand was going to die on my 30th birthday and she was essentially my whole family. And so it's kind of like I had this knowing on my 30th birthday that was going to be the day. So um, but yeah, it's a powerful feeling, and usually the knowing is about a path that I need to take. It is about dreaming big, and in the case of New York City, it was this intense feeling, this certainty that New York City was where I belonged, and that's where I would fit in, because I was an outsider. Mm -hmm. I grew up, I was like the one poor kid at the rich kid's school. <laughs> I was yeah. the science nerd. I wrote song lyrics on my sneakers before that was a thing. So I was bullied every day for six years of junior high and high school. I just wanted to be somewhere. It would be okay to be myself. Yeah. And that's one of the messages I have in City Love and hopefully tr include in all of my books. That yeah. It's okay to be exactly who you are. Right. You've said that you write for teens because you want to help them feel less alone, 
and that your it books include warm fuzzies about dreaming big, following your heart, and letting your true self shine. So I was going to ask you why that's so important to me, but you've just told me. You've, it, you, want, you want everyone to have that feeling because you remember so clearly not having it, I guess. Right. Imagine what it would be like to be able to go to school and everyone would just let everyone else be exactly who they are. I like to just live and let live. And so many people feel like they have to explain or justify right. and, or apologize. Right. And no, just I, I just feel like that makes me so sad because I do remember what that was like to go through that and every day feel like it wasn't okay to be who right. I was. So given that background of, of six years of really not feeling accepted, where did you develop your belief in in soulmates? Because I think this is another theme that runs throughout your work, which is you really believe in soulmates. So where did that come from? Soulmates are real. So that would be another knowing. That would definitely be one of the lifetime knowings that even though I felt so helpless, underneath all of the fear and the doubt and the sadness, there was this glimmer of hope. And I carried this hope in my heart that one day... I would be able to create a happy life for myself. And that hope is what helped me to survive. That hope got me through. I started the practice of creative visualization. I would visualize my future life in New York City, my And this was city. well before all of these books, like The Secret this was or when any of that I started This really doing this, came from yourself. Yeah, I mean, I started doing this when I was 12, visualizing. And it it's just... It definitely was a knowing that soulmates do exist before I met any soulmates. Now, I've met three soulmates so far, so I can say with certainty soulmates do exist. But there's only one love of your life. That's different. See, I okay. think that some people have different definitions of things yeah, yeah, like yeah. true love and soulmates. And so I think some people hear the term soulmate and they think, oh, that's some crazy, perfect vision, this unattainable image of... And it's like... No, I see a soulmate as someone you have an intense connection and intense chemistry with. And you just know when you meet this person, it feels like you've known them your whole life. And they just feel like home to you. And mm -hmm. they just get you in this way no one else does. So they can be a good friend or sure. a significant other, correct? Sure. I mean, people can define soulmate as your BFF, you right. know, as yeah. your person, right. yeah. regardless of who that person is. I get more specific personally. I define, so when I talk about soulmates, I'm talking about a romantic, romantic. Okay. relationship. Um, but I also talk about my people, you know, my BFFs. Um, but I think the idea everyone has of a soulmate, my message, the important thing that I want to get across in my books is that a soulmate is not perfect, right? No one is perfect and no relationship is perfect. For example, my soulmate doesn't like to rinse the dishes before he puts them in the dishwasher. <laughs> and I say, but could you just, it just takes a minute to rinse the dishes. And then he's like, yeah, but the dishwasher washes right. the dishes. So why do I need it? And then I'm like, but the dishwasher gets all, so, but we're still soulmates. Yeah. So I think I, I, when I talk about things like soulmates that are real and true love that is real and finding the love of your life that is real, I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think that I'm talking about this unattainable perfection because yeah. it's not that way at all. But it is 
it is a knowing. It's a feeling you have that is so clear and so certain. And so it's like this bright ray of sunshine. (laughs) Now, did you have a knowing or did you have just a tremendous inner confidence that you would be a successful writer as well? You know what's so interesting? When I was going through the hardest time in my life, which was being a teen, being in junior high and high school, I had this, along with the hope that one day I'd be living a happy life, I had this feeling that I might be somewhat successful at some point in my life. And actually, I wrote this book, Something Like Fate, that incorporates ideas of tarot and palmistry and astrology and things like that. And I have on both hands, I have a star at a certain, it's sort of like uh, right underneath my middle and ring fingers on both hands. Yeah. In that vicinity, on both hands, I have a star shape. And that means that's an indicator of future success. And it's funny because my character Lonnie in something like Fate, she goes to get her palm read and everything the psychic is telling her is actually based on my own palm. Okay, cool. (laughs) And she has that star too. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. I had that feeling, and you know, at the time, I didn't know if that was just me being hopeful because, like I said, hope is what helped me survive that hard time. Hope is what got me through. But I feel, I yeah, I do remember having a feeling like, you know, one day if I could just survive this time, one day it will definitely be not only so much better, but even bigger than I was dreaming. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a science teacher when I was twelve, and I loved teaching so much. Yeah. But I did resign in 2007 because it was so hard to teach and then come home with a huge stack of yeah, homework and tests sure. and quizzes and lab reports and just and I was a meticulous grader and I'm an organization freak so you know every, everything had to be <laughs> corrected and commented on and everybody needed a sticker if they earned a sticker so that took a long time and I didn't have a lot of energy left over to write. But I wrote my first two books while I was teaching. Yeah. I just, and who, a, lot of, a lot of people can do a lot of things, and I'm a great admirer of them. Yeah. <laughs> I could do like one thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, who were some of the folks who, who gave you early encouragement? I mean, I, it sounds like you have a tremendous amount of self-motivation, but were there folks along the way who said, trust me, you know, you can do this, and, and I'm going to support you in doing this? Well, my Graham, she essentially, as I mentioned, she was basically my whole family um, who took care of me. She's the one who took me every weekend. We got to go and buy a new book. Okay. Um, And she would take me to the library because one book a week obviously was not enough for me because books were my friends. I mean, that was the, the time I looked forward to the most every day when I was in high school was going home at the end of the day and reading in my room. Because then yeah. I could get back to my people. You know, my people at that time were the characters in the books I loved. Yeah. So luckily I had my grand there to take care of me in that way. And I did have an excellent seventh grade science teacher. 
she it's so funny because now we're friends oh, on Facebook oh, and I'm supposed to call her Nancy and it's so weird. <laughs> and, you still and it, can't call her Nancy. And it's so cool. I do, but it feels weird. But it's funny because a lot of my old students. I was just going to say, must have the same feeling about you, right? Yes, <laughs> they're friends with me on Facebook. So now they're all grown and everything. They're in their 20s. And they'll still call me Miss Calasanti, though. Yeah. It's hard. Only a few yeah, of them will dare yeah. to call me Suzanne. Yeah, you can't it's change so, that. It's There's so some weird thing about that. You can't change it. Yeah. So now that you're on the other side of teaching, I expect that you, do you visit schools as part, as part of your publication process? And how has that changed now that you're on the other side and you're coming in as the visitor trying to talk to these students? Well, what is that like? Yeah, I do this presentation called Your Dream Life. Tell me about that. That's one of my questions. This is, it's kind of like what we've been talking about. It's all about visualizing the life you want and then taking steps every day to turn that dream into reality. Because again, it's empowering. I want to give teens the message that no one gave me, right. <laughs> which mm -hmm. is that the tools. you don't have to wait until later. I always thought real life would start when I left for college. And no one gave me the memo that your real life is now. Yep. Life is happening right now. And you have control over some things. As a teen, you don't have control over so many things. Where you live and where you go to school and what time you have to be home. And it's just there's so much you can't control. But my message with your dream life is that there are things you can control. And you can take control starting right now. Fantastic. I love it. Now tell me a little bit about your, your writing habits and, and now that you don't have a full-time gig, you know, uh, an other gig, let's say, you have a full-time writing gig, what's your day like? Well, I don't get up at 4.45 in the morning anymore. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> that was super fun. Yeah, that sounds challenging. <laughs> it is really dark. Uh, I know, And in yeah. the winter, really cold. Yes. At 4.45. Indeed. No one should be awake at 4.45. That is quite early. So I'm enjoying that. My commute is awesome. Yeah, it's about <laughs> 10 how steps, many steps to yeah. my desk. <laughs> now, who are some of your first readers? Like, who do you give your work to as it's in process and, and seek, seek their opinion? No one. Really? You don't have first readers? Tell me no, that. No, I've never had so readers. So wait, you write an entire book and you don't let anyone read it until you hand it in to your editor? That's right. I've never heard that. Now, why? Why do you do it that way? It's interesting because I have a lot of author friends, and I know many of them, most of them, belong to writing groups, and they do have those first readers, and they gather feedback and everything. I just feel like my editor is the most important person in determining what she wants to see happen what she wants in the book, what she doesn't want, the changes that I will need to make. I trust my editor completely. Sure. So even though it might be interesting at one point to join a writer's group or get that feedback early before handing it in, but I don't know. I just totally trust my editor. And I mean, at this point, Catherine Teagan's my editor, so hello. Yeah, <laughs> but, got a good one. I mean, you know, she is a super professional editor who has been doing this for a long time, has her own imprint. Right. So I trust her fully, 100%. And I just feel like she can read the manuscript and let me know what she wants, and I'm happy to deliver that. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Now, I want to ask you a few questions as a reader. 
What was the last book that you had a conversation about, and, and what did you say? The last book I had a conversation about. Okay, let's see. So I'm reading An Organized Mind right now. And I like that book. You, yeah, and we've heard, we've been hearing more recently about mindfulness, but then also about the importance of being bored, right? So one thing that's interesting about not, I call it being a screen zombie, right? Actually okay. taking a break from that, we understand actually gives the brain time to go into an alpha state and actually experiences a different chemical reaction. And so that's the time when the mind kind of wanders freely and ideas come that are blocked when you are constantly busy with one or two or multitasking lots of things as we, most of us do, um, concurrently. So I think what's cool about this book is that it's showing you not only the brain chemistry and exactly what goes into the sleeping mind, the waking mind, the thought processes, but the importance of really being in the now. And that's another book, The Power of Now, is another book that I really enjoy. I am a little strange, (laughs) or a lot strange in that, I was going for this Guinness World Record trifecta of never having... And by having, I mean never owning in my lifetime. Okay, let's hear it. A cell phone, a television, or a microwave. And? And up until two weeks ago, I was able to maintain that. Seriously? Lifetime, no no ownership. My first cell phone ever in my life, I just purchased two weeks ago because I started my book tour and actually, it was interesting because my publicist, who is so sweet, she, I just love her so much, and she was asking for my cell number, and so I had to explain about my Guinness World Record trifecta, and, you know, I just didn't want to stress her out because I feel like it's the time now. As soon as that iPhone 6 came out, I was like, all right. But, I mean, even your last book tour, how did you, how long you know ago what? was that? Was that just a couple years ago? Yeah, how but, did you yeah but even in life, here's the message. You can survive without a cell phone. This is what fascinates people, but not in a good way. Because for all these years, I feel like everyone is basically since 2003, everyone has had a cell phone, right? So that's 12 years. So for the past 12 years, I've been interrogated by people with very strong opinions. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And they're like, but how do you do this? How do you do, how do you go on a book tour? Well, you have a schedule and then you go where you're supposed to. Yep. And you show up. Right. And then, you know, it's like, but how do you meet people? How do you, well, you make a plan and then you go to there. (laughs) It's like, um, but what if there's an emergency? You know, it's like, well. So how (laughs) has life changed now that you have a cell phone? Oh, I have to remember to charge it, I guess. I didn't know you have to charge them like every day, every, every two days. Day. Oh, absolutely. Mine's like every every other day I find that I have to. So I have to, and I have to remember to put it in my bag. So I'm kind of getting used to all that. But <laughs> no, but it's so much easier to be, uh, for me at this point, I need to be on social throughout the day. Yeah. I need to be on Insta and Twitter and Facebook and everything. And it gives you easier. But I mean, um, how it's impacted my life so far just in the past couple weeks 
times when I would normally be just enjoying the now and in, enjoying the company of the person in front of me and just taking in the experience of the world around me and looking up. You miss so much when you don't you do. look up. So now with the cell phone, I am not looking up as much as I used to. Um, although I don't, I please, hopefully, will, will not be like a screen zombie walking down the street never looking yeah. up. Now another question. When you think of a, a reluctant boy reader, so let's say a 13-year-old boy, can you think of a book that you would recommend that he read to sort of either bring him back to reading or keep him reading? Well, John Cheska, of course, with Guys Read. I mean, that he I just love John so much, and his books are amazing. And I like Marcus Zusak. You know, I'm thinking of The Book Thief and, and those. I, I feel like boy readers, you know, it's funny because I know boy readers who read my books and who read other books that are sort of labeled as girl yeah. books. Yeah, that's rare, I think. So I think the most important thing with boy readers, with any readers, is really to encourage them to find something they do love and there's so much out there now and go with that just that I remember that feeling of elation when I would find a new author when I found oh and Blake Nelson is good too I would yeah. def recommend Blake Nelson when I found Blake Nelson's first book girl so this was in 1994 I think because I was at Penn I remember going to the bookstore on Rittenhouse Square and it was in the adult section because YA really didn't exist at that time. And it was Girl by Blake Nelson, one of my favorite, favorite books. I mean, I just love Blake so much. And so, of course, again, this was before being online and being able to see what your favorite authors have coming out next. So I always wondered about Blake Nelson. Who's he? And what's he writing now? And is there going to be another book? And it wasn't until years later when someone told me, yeah, he has a bunch of books. They're in the teen section. I was like, what? So funny. <laughs> it was awesome. Like that feeling of finding shiny, sparkly treasure. That's wonderful. Ah, I love that feeling. That so is. I would just encourage boy readers especially to find an author they love and just read everything by that author. Yeah, that's good advice. Now my last question is, should you be banished to a desert island and you're only allowed to take three books what would they be? So I would have to pull a Dwight Schrute and say the physician's guide to, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Healing any ailment that Smart. may Good. occur. Good on the um, so I would say some sort of large medical reference okay. would be good. Uh, but see, then this is so tricky because what would I read again and again? I think I would take The Outsider's because that was the first book that inspired me to think about read uh, to think about writing for teens. Okay. I slept with the outsiders under my pillow hoping for some magical form of osmosis to seep through the pillow into my brain so that one day I could write something is remotely brilliant, which will not happen but you know dreaming big, working <laughs> towards a goal. So I would take that just for nostalgic reasons. And then third, I would take The Little Prince Aww. because technically, even though it's a children's book, it has many important messages for grown-ups. Those are perfect choices. Thank you so much for being here. It was really fun to talk to you. And thank you for the book. I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. 
please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.